0: Miss our uh, children for Children's Church. They can meet their teachers out in the foyer area. Thank you, worship team, for leading us today. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to do something today that's going to be very difficult for me. Um, I'm going to scratch the surface on a subject that I could probably do uh, a 13-week series on. And so uh, luckily, no matter what happens today, you get ice cream at the end. And so whether I do good in that or bad at that, you get to eat ice cream. So uh, that'll make it all better. Um, But we if you missed last week we started a series that I just want to do for a couple weeks before we get into our small groups Um, if you have not yet signed up for a small group a huddle Um, that's gonna be meeting either on Sunday afternoons or Wednesday evenings. The information is in your program today, but you need to sign up. There will not be uh, regular Wednesday night classes here at the the church. We're gonna be putting people into smaller groups to meet and discuss um, the study that we're doing. Starting uh, at the end of this month, we're gonna be starting a book uh, and a series of sermons that go along with that called The Prodigal God. It's written by Tim Keller, and uh, it'll challenge uh, it'll challenge the way that we think, a lot of ways. Uh, it's a book that uh, I have read twice. Uh, the last time I read it was last November. I read it with Pastor John, and uh, we wanted to, to do it as a series for a long time, but it just needed to marinate a little bit more in us uh, before we pass that on to you. But before we get into that, I wanted to do this series on uh, building a complete church. And uh, the video that I shared this morning, part of the reason I shared that video is because I thought Jacob Bach did an amazing job of again illustrating what we started to talk about last week because if you remember he talked about the spiritual weapons that we can fight with and how different people in their prayer group their their ministry team wanted to use this weapon and wanted to use this weapon and some wanted to use this weapon and sometimes when it comes to spiritual warfare and prayer like this um, we we sometimes latch on to one weapon and we think that that's the weapon. And so we get frustrated when we try to get other people to use our weapon and they're not using it. And so what I loved is that, you know, God has this arsenal of spiritual weapons. And here's the thing, it's not just one weapon that you prefer using. It's whichever weapon you'll learn to use. And God will teach you to use all of the weapons in his arsenal. It's not like when Paul starts talking about spiritual weapons, he's like, no, there's only this one for this one and this one for this one. No, they're all available to us, and we learn to develop them and we use them. And at different times, God will call upon us to say, hey, it's time to use the sword. Hey, it's time to use the the bow and arrow. Hey, it's time to use, uh, you know, a cannon. I mean, there are different weapons at different times that God wants to call on us to use, and that's why we want to grow and develop in them, and maybe not be frustrated that everyone else doesn't want to use the weapon that maybe God is trying to get us to use, because if he moves on different people in different ways, every weapon is being used to combat that problem, and that was such a great picture of what we talked about uh, last week as we started walking through these the, the different types of giftings and the different types of ministries. And I gave you this scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 last week where there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of all of them. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. And we went through Romans chapter 12 last week and we talked about uh, these gifts that God has given to us and we started with the gifts of the father that he's placed in every one of us while we were in the womb he created us he formed us he's put these gifts in us but how many of you know that the people in the world that don't know Christ still have gifts they have graces from the father they can still teach they can still lead some of them are still compassionate they still have gifts and we have to redeem them and so last week at the end of that remember I asked you to to think about these questions what graces what gifts has God given you the second question was have you redeemed them are you just using them for you or are you using them to build his kingdom have you brought them to him and said God I'm bringing this gift that you've given me to you to redeem it to make it not me centered but you centered Okay, and then how can I be more kingdom-minded with those gifts, those graces that he's given to me? And that was kind of laid a little bit of the foundation for that. And today we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 4 and we're going to look at the gifts that Jesus gave to us. So the three weeks, the gifts of the Father from Romans chapter 12, even 1 Peter chapter four, Peter mentions that same concept. Then today, the gifts that Jesus gives to the church from Ephesians chapter four, and then uh, in a couple of weeks, we're gonna conclude with 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're gonna talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how they all together help make a complete church. So Ephesians chapter four, therefore, verse one, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling that you've received, for you have been called by God. Always. Did did your mom ever tell you not to use the word never or always, okay? It's not a good idea most of the time, but the Apostle Paul says, always be humble and gentle that must mean there's never a time to be harsh. Now sometimes gentleness can feel harsh if it's a rebuke. But always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because you're all people and you all have them, that's what he's saying, because of your love. Make every effort, to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is, listen to how many times he uses this word one. There is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. However, he's given each of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. So there's one God but many gifts. It's that same concept. This is why the scriptures say when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. This means clearly that Christ also descended to our lowly world and the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ." Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We won't be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, humbly and gently, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly, as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. <clears throat> so Father, I ask today that you'd help me to speak your word with clarity, <clears throat> that you'd help me to speak <clears throat> your truth in a way that we can see and understand what your spirit is saying to us as a church. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. So the Apostle Paul starts this passage of Scripture by telling us to lead a life that's worthy of the calling that we have received. We have been called sons and daughters of God. That's our calling, that's our identity. And we should not act like we are not. We shouldn't act in a way that brings shame or reproach to the name of God because we are sons and daughters of God. We don't have to be tossed to and fro. We don't have to panic. We don't have to act like the the world is falling apart or this person has harmed me outside of God's plan and knowledge. We are sons and daughters of God. Nothing can harm us That he has not been made aware of. So we can act like we are sons and daughters of God. And we should maintain the unity that the spirit brings. Notice that the spirit brings unity. There's a move in our day where we try to get everyone to think exactly the same. We try to get everyone to agree on everything. And if we don't agree on everything, then there must not be unity. Well, we just heard that God gives different graces, different gifts, different perspectives, different personalities, so we're not all gonna think exactly the same. But there still can be unity. Unity, because unity has more to do with us making allowance for each other's faults. It has more to do with us being humble and gentle than it does walking and thinking exactly the same on every issue. This would be a great thing to preach on Capitol Hill to Democrats and Republicans. Although it still needs to be preached in the church because sometimes politically in the church we act just like they do on Capitol Hill. But there's many graces, many gifts, many perspectives, but there's always one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father. And we gotta keep that in perspective. I wanna start by looking at the end result. And then I kinda wanna work our way backwards through this passage. Because the Apostle Paul gives us quite a list of things that he says the complete church is gonna look like. Look at this list, this is all right there in Ephesians chapter four, I just read all these but let's look at them again. We're gonna to come to complete unity in our faith and knowledge of God. Complete unity, oneness in our faith and knowledge of God. And I don't necessarily think that means we're all always going to agree completely. Did you ever notice there's lots of denominations in the world? I mean, drive through town, you see them all out there, and sometimes people are like, well, which domination is right? Uh, All of them. Well, most of them. Some of them. Um, But it's not just one of them, and we sometimes have a tendency to think that our way is right, but... How many of you know that God is so, his character, his personality has so many different facets. In some denominations, they, they reverence God. They're, God is so holy and he's so to be reverenced. And so the services are so quiet and we don't, we just wanna walk. And it's true, God is absolutely like that. And so you and I, who maybe aren't like that, <coughs> could learn from them. Now some, focus on the, 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 the power of the Holy Spirit and the, the gifts of the Spirit and how they operate and they should operate in our lives today. and that becomes the focus and, and that becomes the, the, maybe the melding point of that church. How many, some churches focus on the word, it's all the word of God, it's the word of God and there's, there's nothing else, it's just the word. And some are, no, it's, we gotta have compassion. We gotta have compassion. If we're not out there serving people, we should be taking up 17 offerings today for the victims of Hurricane Harvey and Hurricane Irma. We gotta, we gotta do this. How many of you know all of those are parts of the, of the character and nature of God? And instead of bickering over what we disagree with, if we would learn from one another the different graces of God, we would be a whole lot better off. And that's what he's saying. Just come to a complete unity. now. If someone preaches another Jesus, then the Jesus revealed clearly to us in the scripture, I don't care what label they put on their building, they're not a church. Okay, they're not a church. If there's another Jesus or another way to God, it's not a church. But if they preach Jesus and they preach the cross, it's one body. And we can come to unity even in disagreement. In unity in our faith and in our knowledge of God. Then he says we'll become mature. (laughs) Hallelujah. I would ask how many of us are mature today, but his definition of mature, I mean to come to the full and complete standard of Christ. (laughs) How many of you know we got some more maturing to do? And that's okay, we're gonna keep maturing. We keep looking like him. We grow to be more and more like him. We're getting rid of unforgiveness and bitterness and, and slander. It never ceases to amaze me that people who attend church regularly have people in church that they don't talk to because of some hurt from the past. There's one thing that God says in scripture over and over about forgiveness and bitterness and if you don't give it, receive, you stop yourself from receiving it, please take that way more seriously than at times we do. But we won't be like that. We won't be like immature children. We won't be tossed to and fro by every new teaching. You know, we, someone preaches a sermon and we're like, man, that changes everything. No, it doesn't. Okay, don't panic. Don't get, don't be like, you know, I'm just, I'm starting over. I'm scrapping everything. I'm changing churches. I'm doing, no, add to your faith goodness and add to your goodness knowledge and add. So when you get a new teaching, something that, man, I've never heard that before. How do I add that to the foundation that I already have? And see, sometimes immaturity steps in, and we hear something new, and we just fly off the handle. And some people leave our churches because they're like, Pastor, you're not moving with the wave of the Spirit. No, I'm taking the new thing that you're hearing, which really isn't new at all because it's in here, and I'm applying it to what we've already learned. That's maturity. We're not going to be just tossed back and forth and causing people to be crazy. We're going to be grounded. We're going to speak the truth in love, for the betterment of others. Sometimes I think Christians are way more angry at the world than God is. In fact, he's no longer counting their sins against them, he's waiting for them to come to salvation. So speak the truth in love for the betterment of someone else. Each one in the body does its part because Jesus makes the whole body fit together perfectly. And in verse 7 and in Romans chapter 12, last week, we're told that every part has a special work to do and every part helps the other parts grow. In other words, we need each other. I'm going to make a statement that you may not like, but it's biblical. You will not reach your full potential in God by yourself. This idea that I can serve God by sitting at home, watching TV or watching the internet, serving God my own way, hopping from church to church. If you are not plugged into the body of Christ, you will not reach your full potential. And people will be like, hey, look at me, I'm growing. No doubt you're probably growing, but you will not become all that God has created you to be apart from being connected to the body of Christ because you can't do it without the rest of the body. You need the other parts. And I know in our American self-made man lifestyle, we don't like that. But that's the truth. We need one another because the other parts help us grow. And then the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. This is an amazing list. This is a complete church. And how do we get there? Well, we starts by every one of us recognizing the giftings of our Father, redeeming them, using them to build the kingdom, and then it starts with this passage about how the gifts that Christ gave to the church, all five of them, apostle, prophet, pastor, evangelist, teacher, how all of them work. Remember how God gave all of us graces, giftings, and they all came out of the character of God? I described that to you last week. This, These apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, and evangelist, all of these come out of the ministry of Jesus. Jesus is the chief apostle. Jesus is the best prophet that ever walked the face of the earth. He's the best teacher that ever lived. He's the best pastor that ever lived. He's the best evangelist. What did he come for? To seek and save that which is lost. The ministry of Jesus was apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. And what Jesus has done is he's taking his five-part ministry and he's divided it out among different people. Why? Because he wants us to need each other. There's not one guy that has all five of these. Well, there is Jesus. (laughs) If someone else tells you they operate in all five giftings, they're, they're not true. There's not one other example anywhere in Scripture of anybody, now, there's a couple we'll look at that maybe, excuse me, operated in one or two, but not five, and there's not just one in every church. I know, I'm, oh, I'm so excited for this. Are you as excited as I am? But before we talk about those five and what they are, I wanna look at what they do, because the scripture tells us right here, it's so clear, these gifts, these apostle, prophet, Evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Their responsibility, listen, their responsibility is to do the work of the ministry. No, it's not, see. It's not what it says there at all. See, but that's what we think. The apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor and teacher should be doing the ministry. Except the Bible says they should be equipping the body to do ministry so that the church can be built up isn't that interesting do you ever wonder why the church in the book of acts maybe grew as we talked about in sunday school in maybe 30 years it grew to reach the entire known world and how 30 to 40 churches in the city of Huron in hundreds of years, in about 100 years, still haven't reached this city? Could some of it have to do with our view of these giftings in the church and what they do? I mean, because churches experience growth, right? I mean, if a church is growing, we're like, hey, well, that church is growing and they don't believe in apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and they just hire one person and they do all the ministry and that church is growing. Absolutely, that church is growing. But is it growing to the full potential that Ephesians 4 describes and that the book of Acts illustrates? Or could it be that we've settled into a cultural model that's really not based on the scripture, but based more on what we've grown up with or what we're comfortable with and looks nothing like what the early church looked like? I hesitate to say that our model is unbiblical, but it's definitely extra biblical meaning it doesn't have its basis in the scripture. And so their job, these five, is to build up the body of Christ. Well, how do they do it? Well, probably similar to the way that the scripture does. The second Timothy chapter three says, scripture is inspired by God and it teaches us, it trains us, it corrects us, it rebukes us, it helps us to grow so that we can become fully mature and complete. And so these giftings that Christ gave the church, the apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist, all of them should be correcting us. They should be training us. They should be teaching us. They should be rebuking us so that the body of Christ is built up doing the work of God, doing the ministry of God, not just one day a week, but every day of the week. Amen. I'm gonna help you say amen a lot today because it's really good stuff. And so... All five of these bring something different to the table. The pastor won't rebuke you. Can't do it. The pastor can't rebuke you. That's why we need apostles and prophets. Because they'll come along and work with the pastor to bring rebuke. Now, sometimes pastors have to do rebukes, but they don't like it. Because it's just... They just see the sheep and they love the sheep. I love the sheep. I don't want to hurt the sheep. Apostle, stop. Stop hurting the sheep. I love the sheep. Prophet, tone it down. You're scaring the sheep but yet all five of these are so essential and so important and so much a part of who Jesus was on the earth. But in our church today, what we've done is we hire pastors. Everybody's a pastor, we hire them. And oddly in scripture, the word pastor is only used once and it's only used in Ephesians chapter four. In the book of Titus and other places in the epistles, <clears throat> this is what it says. I leave you on the island of Crete to appoint elders, overseers. Now, some of these elders, some of these overseers, as we'll look at other scriptures here in a minute, could be apostles. Some of them could be prophets. Some of them could be pastors. Some of them could be evangelists. Some of them could be teachers. Some of them may just have a gift of leadership but not be any of those five-fold functions. But they're elders... In the church, and what we elect in this church—the deacons, the elders—that we elect, there's a scriptural qualification for those in the scripture. When you point someone as an elder in the body of Christ, here's what they should have. Here's what their life should look like. You know, when we we pass out those sheets sometimes, and uh, you know. We, we vote for elders, and who do you think is the most qualified? And it's always interesting to me that every once in a while, you'll get someone that will get a 10, and they haven't attended church in a year. And I sit back and I think, how could they possibly be a 10? We don't even see them. We don't know what their life is like. How could they be a 10? Because sometimes we, are, we, like, remember what they used to be. But the Scripture says, no, if you're going to put someone as a leader, watch their life not like critically judging, I'm mm, going to find you doing something wrong, but watch their life and make sure that you should put them in that place of leadership. And so these elders, these overseers, could fill so many different roles. In fact, the apostle Peter, when he writes to the church, in 1 Peter chapter 5, he says a word to you who are elders in the churches. I too am an elder. Peter is an elder, but is, what is Peter? Peter's an apostle but he's also an elder in the church. He's a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And he shared, I too will share in the glory when Christ is revealed to the whole world, as a fellow elder, that doesn't mean that all of them are apostles, they're just fellow elders. I appeal to you, care for the flock, God has trusted to you. That word care for the flock is that word shepherd, and it's the same word in Ephesians four for pastor. So in other words, shepherd. Pastor. So, what he's saying to the elders is, Pastor those people. You may not be a pastor, but pastor them. Peter's saying that because he's doing it. I'm an elder, I'm an apostle, but sometimes I have to do the work of a pastor. That's what he's saying. Because sometimes when we teach on fivefold ministry, I've heard this used where um, I had to. It, through some of the churches that I give oversight to, I met with a pastor one time, and he, he said some words to me that really just sent chills up and down my spine. He, was, he talked about the sermon he preached, and, and uh, I said, "Well, that's, that's a little harsh. And coming from me, it must have been really harsh, because you know sometimes I get on that line a little bit too. And he's like, "Well, I'm a prophet, and I just speak it plainly." Well, as an elder in the church, you're also supposed to, you, know, shepherd." The people of God. Do the work of a pastor, even if you're not called to be a quote unquote pastor in Scripture. Same way that Paul told Timothy, Timothy was an apostle. And what did he tell Timothy to do in 2 Timothy 4, or 5? Do the work of an evangelist. Do the work of an evangelist. Timothy wasn't an evangelist, he was an apostle. But Paul says, do the work of it. So it's not like if you're a fivefold this or a fivefold that, then you don't have to do this, or you don't. That's not what this is about. But it's showing us that in the body of Christ, different people bring clarity and help us as a body to grow. And so, at times, people are like, well, you know what, titles don't really matter. We don't need to use titles today. We'll just call everyone a pastor and just call it good. But to the point that titles help bring clarification, they're used in Scripture. And so... Please don't panic. We're not just gonna, you know, again, remember, we're not gonna be immature and we're not gonna jump over here and be tossed around. We're gonna take everything I say today and add it to what we already know, okay? So just bear with me all the way through to the end. Did you know that there are 25 apostles in the scripture? Because there are all kinds of teachings out there that you have to be an eyewitness of Jesus or you have to have certain qualifications, but all of these people listed on this page are called apostles In the scripture, all of them. In fact, the apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 1.11 is an apostle and a teacher. In fact, most apostles will serve as some level of something, whether it's teacher or pastor or prophet, before they are recognized as an apostle. And so all of those are there. In Acts chapter 13, we see that there were prophets and teachers in the church of Antioch. And the prophets and the teachers that were praying and fasting together said, the the Holy Spirit came to them and said, send out Paul and Barnabas as apostles. Send out Paul and Barnabas as apostles. Apparently, Paul and Barnabas are in this group of prophets and teachers. So Barnabas is either already a prophet or a teacher, and now God's saying, I'm conferring on them, they're apostles, and so the group prays and fasts even more, okay, don't ever think, oh, I heard from God, you're an apostle, praise God, go do it. They took it seriously. They prayed and fasted, and then laid hands upon them and sent them out. That's a biblical model that we see. In Acts chapter 21, there's another passage of Scripture that Paul is writing, and he says, or excuse me, Luke is writing, but Paul is speaking. After saying farewell to the Ephesian elders, there's that word, then verse 8, the next day we went on to Caesarea. We stayed at the home of Philip the evangelist, one of the seven men who had been chosen to distribute food. So apparently Peter's not only an evangelist, he's a deacon. Because that's what deacons were chosen to do in the book of Acts. He had four unmarried daughters who had the gift of prophecy. I know, there's so much I want to talk about, but we just got to keep moving. Several days later, a man named Agabus, who also had the gift of prophecy. Now, notice that these had the gift of prophecies, but there's no capital P, prophet, there, okay? And it wasn't because they were women, so don't think that, because Agabus is just a guy. He also had the gift of prophecy, and he arrived from Judea, and then he prophesies over Paul, and then Paul goes to meet the elders of the Jerusalem church, So titles, not I mean, it's not that they're not important at all, but we have to understand that titles do bring clarification. They help us to understand. They help us to put handles on some of this stuff so we can carry it around. So these apostles, these prophets, these pastors, these teachers, these evangelists, what are their qualifications? Because in Ephesians chapter 4, the apostle Paul really doesn't give us qualifications. Well, their qualifications are the exact same as the elders that we find in Timothy and that we find in Titus. So whatever qualification that you find of any leader in the church, that should be the, quality, the qualification there. They should have humility. They should be filled with the Spirit. They should be able to teach. They should not be drunk. They shouldn't be given to a lot of wine. They should have an established household. They should be able to manage that. So whatever's listed in those passages applies to these fivefold. It also teaches us in Scripture that they should be proven. They should be proven. Just because you have the gift of prophecy and operate in operating it doesn't mean you're a five-fold prophet. Because in order to be an elder in the church, you have to be proved and tested. That's what the Scripture says. To see how you handle the level of authority in the church. Do you hold it over people? Are you harsh with people? Or are you gentle with them? Can you instruct even those that disagree with you in a gentle manner? Or are you harsh with them? And so there are times in the body of Christ where people are self-appointed prophets or self-appointed apostles, meaning they operate in it, but local leadership doesn't recognize their gift, and so they just go out and start their own ministry. That's not biblical. The biblical model for for appointing people in leadership positions is for the leaders to watch that person's life, to put hands on them, and to agree with the calling of God that's on that life. They confirm it. Okay, God calls, the leaders confirm that calling. And so all of this is establishing leadership in the body of Christ to build up the body so that we can be mature and complete. So let me, in just a few minutes, cover some of these for you. Um, I kind of gave you one word that goes with each of these to try to give you just a short idea. And like I said, I could, we could talk about this forever, but we don't have that kind of time today, so... Apostles are governors. What they do is they lay foundations, they are spiritual parents, they plant churches, they are their interest is building things on a solid foundation. What apostles do is they see the overall picture. Apostles, sometimes it's illustrated this way: where apostle, prophet, um, evangelist, and then pastor, and then teacher. And the apostle is able to touch all of the other giftings whereas the other ones don't all get to intermingle. And so what the apostle does is he helps bring clarity and he helps keep everyone together, okay? He's the team guy. He's just trying to help everyone understand that. I know that you evangelists, you just think that we're wasting our time today. We should be out evangelizing, but there's, we're here for a reason. It's important. And so he keeps everybody working together. They govern, they build, they send people out. They're problem solvers. They're peacemakers. They're troubleshooters. If you want to think of it in terms of a building, think of it as the architect. The apostle Paul in his letter to the Corinthians talks about how as an apostle he was that architect. You know, he built, he laid this foundation and then everyone else began to build on that foundation. And so ultimately Jesus is the architect, he's the grand designer, but that's what the apostles do. The prophets, prophets guide us. They can see and hear things that other people do not. They have a way of being able to hear God and articulate what God is saying. They're people of prayer. They're people that, you know, everything is, has a deeper meaning. Okay, they you know, prophets do not own digital clocks because they're dangerous for prophets. Like every day at twelve thirty-four, prophets call the pastor and they're like, Pastor, twelve thirty four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. This is a moment of divine order. Second time it happened today, we need to begin to pray, we need to begin to pray. God is speaking. And they they and that's good because we need that in the body of Christ, but then the apostles and the pastors help keep the prophet. You know, from jumping way out there. Because there's a story of Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. And they went camping one day. And as they were setting up camp, they, they crawled into their tent that night. They were exhausted and they fell asleep. And a few hours later, Sherlock Holmes, Dr. Holmes, awoke and he, he nudged his friend. And he says, Watson, I want you to look up to the sky and tell me what you see. And Watson says, well, I see millions and millions of stars. And so Dr. Holmes says, well, what does that tell you? And so he ponders for a minute and he says, well, astronomically, it tells me there's millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. And astrologically, I observe that Saturn is in our galaxy. And time-wise, I deduce it's approximately a quarter past three. And theologically, I can see that the Lord is all-powerful and that we are small and insignificant. And meteorologically, I suspect we're going to have a beautiful day tomorrow. But what does it tell you? And Dr. Holmes looks at him and he's silent for a moment and says, Watson, you idiot. It tells me that someone has stolen our tent. (laughs) And see, the prophet sometimes sees all of this stuff, but they miss the simple solution that's right in front. And so, you know, I make light of that, but I want us to understand that the prophet is necessary in the body of Christ. But sometimes prophets get frustrated with everyone else who doesn't listen to what God is saying. And that's why apostles help us keep everybody working together. The apostle, or the prophets need to remember that God's word remains our plumb line. They have to stay teachable and humble. A lot of prophets will say, the Lord says this. This is what the, and there's an assurance. Instead of coming at it with, here's what I'm sensing. Could the Lord be saying this? That's the humility that needs to be on our lives so that we bring people along. And part of the ministry of the fivefold is to keep alive the prophetic voice in the body of Christ. But a, a fivefold prophet also recognizes the prophetic voice on others' lives, and they train and they teach the body of Christ to prophesy, even if they're not prophets. And they teach prophets how to grow in that gifting. And so that's very important. The third one is the evangelist. Evangelists gather. They announce the good news. They compel people uh, to come into the kingdom. They are always thinking about the loss. That's what evangelists do. They preach with a lot of power and authority. An evangelist is someone that will not have organized notes. I, I had to chuckle a few weeks ago when Mark was preaching and uh, I forgot to ask if I can talk about you but I'm gonna talk about you and uh, you it's okay it's good and uh, he said he said that one thing he's got all these notes but he's just got one point he's just gonna say this one thing and he says that often when he preaches I really struggled to get this down on paper evangelists struggle to get it down on paper but when they preach people get saved it doesn't, and for teachers, okay, teachers, we got outlines and we got subpoints, and we, if you ever put my notes next to Mark's notes, you'd be like, dude, but teachers will get frustrated because they'll teach something and no one will get saved and the, the, the evangelist will get up there and say something so simple and, yet, and then people get saved by the droves and you're like, that's not even very profound. <laughs> How did anyone get saved from that? I mean, you didn't explain propitiation or justification or sanctification, and yet people are getting saved. I don't even know if they're really saved, because there's a, there's a passion, there's a gifting on the evangelist life to be able to share the gospel, and what we do at times, sometimes a, a senior leader in a church is an evangelist, and they're frustrated because they're trying to be a pastor and they feel like I'm a terrible pastor. Well, you're really not a good pastor. You should do the work of a pastor if you're the senior leader, but you're an evangelist. So get a pastor on your team, and that pastor can be someone in the pew. Some of you are better pastors than people who are paid to be pastors because that gifting is on your life. And it's okay, and as leaders, we cannot be intimidated or in any way uh, unsure of ourselves and try to, well, I don't want, people who are gonna like them more than they like me. Who cares? Do what you're gifted to do. You know, the evangelist has a gift on his life to bring people into the kingdom, and they get frustrated when we go to church all the time. And the evangelist is like, why are we in church? We should be reaching the lost. Come on, people, let's go reach the lost. And some of us get upset with the evangelist because we don't have that same passion and we're like, dude, tone it down. (laughs) But we need evangelists in the body of Christ or you and I would just sit here and no one would get us uncomfortable enough to start sharing our faith and no one would model it. I loved when Kara was talking at the the fair and she's like, man, when Mark shares the gospel, I just get so encouraged and I'm like, I can do that. And good, (laughs) that's what's supposed to happen. When you watch him do it, you're not supposed to be like, well, I could never do that. Just start, well, you're never gonna be an evangelist unless that gift's in you, but do the work of an evangelist. But you won't learn how if you don't go around the evangelist. Does that make sense? So some of you missed your moment at the tent, but if you ask Mark, he'll walk the streets with you and do it. I was with him at Walmart one day and he did it. We were just joking with him and there were two Hispanic people sitting on a bench and we're like, Somebody's got to tell them about Jesus. So he did. <laughs> That's the gift of an evangelist, and it, it's so needed, or we'll just sit here forever and no one will tell anyone about Jesus. So it's so important. But again, the evangelist has to understand that there's one gifting, because sometimes the giftings of these five they fight and they split churches and they cause problems because they don't learn how to get along. Pastors, pastors guard. Pastors guard. The pastor loves people. Now, don't get me wrong, all of the giftings love people, they just don't all know how to show it the right way, okay? But pastors, it's all about the people. They will avoid confrontation or anything that upsets the people because they love We gotta get the people to come back. We don't want the people to not come back. Prophet, we want the people to come back. Stop it, evangelists. Stop trying to make everyone feel guilty for not evangelizing. The people are leaving. I want the people. They love people. They notice people. They notice things that are wrong in people's lives and these people are so, pastors are so, so important. But pastors are not called to do all the ministry. The pastor is not called to visit every sick person or help every person in need, they're called to equip other pastors. Because one person can only possibly serve this many people. But if we had this many pastors doing pastoral ministry to others, how many more could we reach? Maybe, maybe we could reach the known world in less than 30 years. If pastors, prophets, evangelists, apostles all started equipping the body to know what they're called to do. And just because you're not in full-time vocational ministry doesn't mean you don't have a calling on your life to be an apostle or a prophet or an evangelist or a pastor or a teacher. You may. And you may have that gifting without being a five-fold leader, but use whatever gifting God has given you. And then the last one, Uh, one of my favorites, is teachers, and teachers ground us. Teachers get excited about stuff nobody else gets excited about, but they have a way of bringing out things from the word, and you're like, dude, I read that like yesterday, and I didn't get any of that. But teacher, it's a gift from God. You know, We don't think of ourselves as like, well, I'm better than everyone else because I see things that other people don't. But that's what happens to teachers. Teachers sometimes judge other people, and they think the Bible clearly says, I don't know why, but it's not clear to everybody. And teachers are needed to help make it clear to everyone and help others learn to teach others. By the way, never argue with a five-fold teacher because I promise you, you will be wrong. Even if you're not, you will be because fivefold teachers, they're just black and white. They know every scripture. I mean, they're spouting off scriptures from books you didn't even know were in the Bible because five-fold teachers, this is who they are. And this is, they're so important. If you ever try to cling to something without your pinky, that baby helps you grip something, okay? It keeps us grounded. That teacher is so important in the body of Christ because sometimes the, even the apostle starts getting so visionary and the teacher's like, dude, slow down. Word of God, okay? Come alongside that. Um, and that's why all of them are important. Now again, We shouldn't be quick to throw titles on people or say, well, this person's this or this person's that. But this is something that you and I really need to begin to start shifting our thinking to line up with. I know that there's this idea that there are no longer apostles and prophets on the earth. Um, I don't think that's a scriptural idea. I don't think there's a biblical basis for that. I don't think anything in scripture shows us that. In fact, the passage we just read today, emphasis added, these giftings in the church, this will continue until. And unless every church around has started to measure up to the full and complete standard of Christ, they must still exist on the earth. We just don't understand them because we've, we've kind of put them in a box for a little bit and we need to open that box and let them come out. To close today, I wanna to give you some questions. Here's what I want you to think about as you go through this week. Personally, ask yourselves these questions. Paul says in Ephesians 4, make every effort. Not make some effort, not, you know, on days that you have some free time, make some effort, am I making every effort to be connected to the body, to be fitted together the way Jesus wants? That doesn't just mean finding your gifting and using it, it means being connected relationally, Uh, emotionally, financially, physically, every part. Am I making every effort? Is it easier to stay home on Sunday or be here on Sunday and be connected? Is it easier to do your own thing or be in a small group? I mean, am I making every effort to be fitted together? Am I being every (laughs) effort, oops, To, to be quipped? Uh, I don't want you to be equipped. I want you to be equipped by your leaders. Am I doing making every effort to be equipped by my leaders? Am I using the gifts that God has given? And am I becoming more and more like Christ every day? Am I really becoming more and more like him, especially relationally? Paul gives us so many relational things. Be humble, be gentle. You know, James tells us that if we praise God, and we curse men with the same mouth that should never, ever be, should never be, because you can't have a spring that's both fresh and polluted. And this this passage of scripture really has just um, over the last couple weeks has just resonated in my heart. I've already put a message together, um, and sometimes I just preach them at myself, and I never preach them to you. I've got lots of those, but this idea that you know we. We come to church and we praise God. I actually got a picture one day of a church worshiping and the heavens opening. And then I watched the church walk out the door and they instantly begin to be like slandering people and the heavens closed. And so, you know, it's not just lifting our hands in worship, it's making sure that our mouths don't curse our brothers and sisters once we walk out that door. Um, there is a way to bring correction, but it's never by telling someone else about someone else to make them look bad. Uh, Slander is never the right way. And so, um, am I relationally becoming more and more like Christ? Jesus called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs, but he did it to their face. Uh, he, he didn't do it behind their back. He always spoke the truth to people, and uh, he did it in love because he died for them and wept over them. Um, corporately, are we seeking a biblical model, and are we willing to make changes to follow Christ's model first church? Are we content to have a model that maybe is cultural but not biblical, or do we want to change this city? Do we think that if God can take... Uh, 12 apostles or 120 in it, the, the temple that day that got baptized in the Holy Spirit and changed the known world in 30 years? Do you think he can take those of us sitting in this room and change the lives of 12,000 people in a few years? I think he could. The question is, do we want to align ourselves with what the biblical motto is more so than our cultural model? And uh, I don't know what that looks like, but I'm all in. So stand with me. Those are some questions I'd love you to consider. Uh, I know I went a little long today, um, but I felt like I needed to just uh, hammer all that out. I really wanted to go longer. I feel like we could come back for an afternoon series on some of this stuff. But if you want more teaching on Fivefold Ministry, I've got sermons, I've got books, I've got other things that uh, maybe can bring some clarification to some things. If you have questions, or maybe you feel called, and uh, something in you resonated today and you're like man i wish i had some more information i'd love to sit with you over a cup of coffee or tea or whatever you drink and uh, hash that out with you or give you some information to study on your own but uh, father i thank you that you have given every one of us gifts from your great arsenal of spiritual gifts and i thank you jesus that you have given apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to your body and your design, just like the Father's, is that we would be mature and complete, measuring up to the full standard of who you are, that we would be healthy and growing and full of love, that all of these attributes would be in our lives. So Holy Spirit, as we ponder these questions this week, I pray that you would help us with these answers, help us to be uh, true and to see the things that maybe we don't see in our, our own lives. Father, help us to be bold enough to ask someone else what they see in our lives. And so, Lord, I pray that for each of us, you would help us to align our thoughts and our lives with your word so that we can declare your truth and build your kingdom in this city into the farthest parts of the earth. Now, Lord, I pray your blessing over this congregation today. I ask that you would bless them and keep them. I pray that you would cause your face to shine on them, that you'd be gracious to them, You'd lift up your countenance on them and you'd give them peace. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. May God bless you as you go today. Don't forget, it's Sunday, Sunday. So you get rewarded for staying a few minutes late. Tell them to give you some extra whipped cream or cherries or something back there.